we are telling stories out of scripture and we have quite a story today. I wanted to, to give you an idea of how much time had passed between the time we think we know about with Joseph and uh, him relieving the famine by helping the Egyptians plan ahead to where they actually um, they, they did well and then they brought the Jews in and they gave them the best land, the land of Goshen and they were honored guests in Egypt and then suddenly when you read they're slaves and they don't know their God, they have no sense of community. What happened? Well between Exodus for, uh, chapter 1 verse 7 and Exodus chapter 1 verse 8 there's a 300 year gap. A 300 year missing gap. So I thought, all right, I'm going to go 300 years ago and bring up things that happened there to tell you how old and how long ago 300 years was. Sadly, 1722 was pretty much a bust as a year. Not a lot happened. The first European stepped foot on Easter Island. Black Bart, the pirate, was killed in a battle off of West Africa. Most of the founding fathers hadn't even been born yet, but the British Army did a, um, a, adopt the black, uh, see, brown bess musket for their uh, military. Seriously, that's pretty much the highlights. There wasn't much, but the point is 300 years is a long time. And that means that things that were super important in 1722 are completely forgotten now. Because there's no question, but the 1722 was a momentous year in the life of millions of people. But all of those moments are forgotten now. And history doesn't know them. Well, something had happened in that 300 years that moved them from honored guests to slaves. We do know the scripture says a new Pharaoh arose who did not know Joseph. We know in history that that new Pharaoh actually came from outside the country. Egypt was overthrown. And a brand new people were now the pharaohs and now in charge. And this is not the only time that would happen in Egypt's history. If you um, look at one of the ancient monuments, you will very often see that it has been, shall we say, chiseled off and redone a few times because the new owners don't want you to remember the old guys. Well, here comes the story of Moses. We have no idea what he looked like because the Jews had a very strict rule that they were never allowed to portray in art of any form a living being, uh, whether animal or human. And so they, they didn't. In fact, the Muslims still have that rule, by the way. And that's why when you walk into their mosque or you see their, their monuments, it is incredibly beautifully detailed, but you won't see animals or people. What you're really seeing is scriptures out of the Quran written artistically. And that's, that is their art. So we don't know what he looked like. And, and the Egyptians had no reason to... Uh, preserve his likeness. If we read his story, we're going to find out some things, and that is he was not one or two-dimensional. He, uh, he was brave, but he was also cantankerous, angry. He got confused. He was difficult to work with. Never a coward, never shirked his duty. All too human, though, in the way that he went about his duty. In other words, he was a person, not a myth. We are Moses. We're really good. And we're really bad. Just like Moses. When Moses was born, male children were under death sentence. Most of us are church people. 
we know these stories, so I'll, I'll move quickly through there because I want to get you to a place in the story. But the male children were under a death threat because Pharaoh was noticing that the slaves were making a lot of babies. And his fear was that they would make so many that they would raise up an army and overthrow Egypt. I don't think he should have worried. I, don't, I think he needn't have worried because they seem to have been cowed and have lost their sense of self and identity. But I could be wrong there. The midwives of Pharaoh's, uh, of the Egyptians, were required to go kill any male baby as soon as it was born. Now, we hear that and we think, what heartless people could these have been? Sad, and I would agree, but sadly, infanticide was a common event all the way up through the Middle Ages. And it's something which I'm glad abhors us because it means we've, we've gotten better as people. But still, that was the job. By the way, Hecate was the god of the midwives. And Hecate was a human with a frog head. That will come into play very shortly. So how, did, how, does, uh, how, does, uh, how did Moses' parents protect him? Well, they, they made a little ark. And they sent it out into the bulrushes so that during the day, his cries would not be heard. And this, in our stories, they put him out. He's found by Pharaoh's daughter. He's taken it. This was going on for a while. His sister watched. Oh, that was her job, to make sure that, no, that nothing happened to baby Moses, Pharaoh's daughter. And he had a lot of them. So it doesn't matter what her name was because he probably didn't know it. But she came down with her entourage and she was bathing in, in the Nile and she saw the ark. They found Moses. She wanted to adopt the baby. Um, here comes Moses' sister running up saying, hey, you want a nurse to help take care of that baby? She goes, you know, I'm going to need one of those. So the, the wee girl says, I, I've got just the one. And she runs back and she gets Moses' own mother to be his nurse. So a lovely story so far. Um, and then we have another gap. There's the thing. God's not interested in writing history. And therefore, we have a lot of questions, don't we? That'll never be answered. Because it's like, nope, that's not the point. We're moving you to the point of the story. Next time we see him, he's 40 years old. But something you need to know is that the movies are wrong. In the movies or in the cartoon, whether it's Disney or Charlton Heston, there comes this moment when he realizes, I'm not an Egyptian. Oh, no. No, in Scripture, it was plain he knew who he was from day one. His mama was there. He understood this. Now, does that put him in any danger in Pharaoh's family? No, because the concept of ethnicities and tribes and nations was a very fluid thing back in this time. And as long as you were under the authority of Pharaoh, you were an Egyptian. You know, and so that wasn't going to be an issue. Well, prime of his life, 40 years old. And yeah, that's prime, evidently. Uh, I'm well past prime, but there you are. Um, he, he was walking around and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. Now, we're going to use different names because at this stage in history, uh, historians argue whether we call them Jews, Hebrews, or Israelites, and I really don't have a side, a team to fight. So I'll be using the different terms. But he saw him beating one. He intervened, and he struck the Egyptian so hard 
that slave driver so, so hard that it killed him. It, the words used seems to indicate it was not a prolonged fight. It was a very short fight. Now, whether the killing was intentional or accidental, we don't really know. What we do know is that Moses then quickly hid the body. So it wasn't something he was proud of. Once again, showing interest in connecting to his people, he was walking among them when a couple of them were in a very heated argument and he got between them and tried to settle the argument. One of them said, what are you going to do? Kill us like you killed the Egyptian and hide the body? And Pharaoh had been told. And Pharaoh was hunting Moses. He didn't mind killing one of his kids. He had like 400 through different wives. And so, um, you know, and, and also adoptions and all the others. So he, he's not going to miss Moses. Moses finds out Pharaoh knows, the people know, and his life's in danger. So he runs. He's not a coward. Only a fool would stay in the area, knowing that the entire apparatus of, um, of the uh, government was coming after you. So he took to his feet and left. We also know he's not a coward because of what happened. He ran into the desert. He came upon an oasis where there was a well and some women were pulling up water, but they were on their own, this group of women with no protection. And there were a group of men harassing them. Now, whether they're harassing them as in stealing them for their own property and use or just for fun or for grabbing their water is obviously not fun for the women. These men were completely out of line and they were considering the women as targets. Moses, enter Moses, and he fights them off. So this is not a coward. This is a guy that knows how to handle himself and knows not to let these people harm these women. One of the young ladies goes, Ooh, would you like to meet my family? And her name was Little Bird, Zipporah. So they went back. He married her, and for the next 40 years, he raised sheep for her father. Make a note. Moses was brave, educated, strong, and ready to move for his people. And God wasn't ready yet. Sometimes when we think we're at the prime of our life, we've got everything here. We've got it all stacked up. We are ready to move. It doesn't mean that God's wanting to move right then. In fact, God isn't ready to move until Moses is 80. 80. He's been head of sheep, Sinai division, for 40 years. As far as we know, he's not had a fight in 40 years. God approaches him, says, I want you to go to the country where you are wanted for murder. Uh, and I want you to free their slaves and thereby destroy their economy. And Moses, for some reason, doesn't think that's a good idea. It was more like, I was ready when I was 40 and fit. But not so much now. God says, it's all right. You can take your brother and here's a stick. Seriously, I don't think we get the humor and the terror in this story. God is going to overthrow Egypt. How is he going to do it? He's got an 80-year-old guy with a stick. We don't even know if it was a pointy stick. It might not have been a pointy stick. Therefore, it's, there's 50% of a stick's utilization uh, gone. Uh, you know, poke. I don't, I don't know that it's going to be that valuable, actually, but there it is. So God sent him to face down Pharaoh with that wonderful question, what is in your hand? It's an interesting thing, that. When God wants you to move, most of the time we tell him, well, we're not ready now. 
And the answer is from God, well, what's in your hand? God can take and overthrow a nation and free a nation with an 80-year-old guy in a stick if you move when he calls you to move. Well, the plagues were unleashed. That's where I want to spend a, a couple of minutes because it's the plagues we don't get. The Israelites, the Hebrews, the Jews, they had forgotten their God. They didn't know their God anymore. Their God needed to be reintroduced to them. But before God could really introduce who he was, he had to take care of some things. Now, when I was a boy, I loved Westerns. My dad didn't want me to watch them because he was afraid I would grow up and want to have guns. And he was right. But uh, I, I still love Westerns. And one of my favorites was the old Gary Cooper classic, High Noon. And I, I loved it because there's this one guy who for his principles will fight alone. For his principles will lose his intended bride. He will lose the town because they're not going to back him. But the principle is important enough to go stand in the street against overwhelming odds. What you may not have known is Moses entering Egypt and the unleashing of the plagues was exactly this. God was calling out the gods of the Egyptians in the plagues, one by one, and shooting them down in front of the slaves and the Egyptians. This is, this is important. What do the plagues do? It introduces God and it turns the people into disciples. They're ready now to move. You will hear this again. Turning water to blood. Well, they worship the Nile. The all-seeing eye of, in hieroglyphics. We've all seen that one. With the big brow and the big eye. That is Osiris. The bringer of life. The god of the Nile. God showed them who was really in charge of the Nile. The plague of frogs. Remember Hecate? The kind of frogs God rained down upon Egypt and made come out of everything were the kind of sacred frog that was a symbol of this God, Hecate. It was a capital offense to kill one of these frogs. So what did God do? He put them everywhere. You couldn't walk. You couldn't lay down. You couldn't go anywhere. It's like, you want frogs? You like frogs? Here are some frogs. And one of the most bizarre things in history is after this abject misery, Moses goes up to Pharaoh and says, if you want God to take away the frogs, he can because he is God and the frogs aren't. And Pharaoh says, well, I'll talk to you about that tomorrow. My father had a sermon he preached all of his life. I heard it many times entitled One More Night with the Frogs about the way that people make it to say, well, I'll, I'll, I'll think about getting better later. I'll think about doing well another day. Why would you spend one more night with the frogs? Well, the other plagues are the same. We'll, we'll zip through them, shall we? We have, um, we have people on the road. We want them to be able to, to not be dragged about forever. There were the lice. Now, this is a little bit... You have to play with linguistics here and the like, so I'm, and I'm not going to because it'll take too long. They worshipped a god named Ged, the god of the dust of the earth. Have you ever 
Uh, I was driving through the central region of the state of Washington this last week, and uh, it's amazing. You know, western is just beautiful alpine forest, desert, bluffs, nothingness. And then right before you hit Spokane, oh, hills, there's something green. And, go, and then another half hour, you're in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. It's just stunning. As I drove across, I kept seeing these dust tornadoes you get uh, because wind hits, picks up dust. They're not really tornadoes, but it's it, these miniature things. You could see them miles off. They thought that was their God, Ged, moving among the dust of the earth. So God just gave them all of that with lice. And then flies. But they weren't flies. Here's one of our problems. Trying to figure out what ancient word meant what bug is not easy. <laughs> they didn't do pictures. So, but we now know because we found enough Egyptian stuff that these were beetles of some sort. And Kipara was their god of a beetle. And that's the symbol that you see the scarab for eternal life. So God says, oh, you want life? I know who's got life. There they go. Also, the beetles were sacred to the sun god Ra. Oh yeah, he also turns the sun off and they go dark. Because Ra, Kapara, Hecate, Ged, Osiris, these aren't your gods. I've shot them down. Oh, he's not done. They worship cattle. Hard to understand for most people in the first world or developed nations. But cattle were sacred because they were your future. They were milk. They were money. They were meat. They were the source of other cattle. Uh, and so they worshipped the cows. We don't know what the plague was. It's called moraine in some versions. But whatever it was, it killed the Egyptian cattle. But it didn't kill any of the cattle held by the Hebrew slaves. But we know they worshipped the god Apis. That was a bull. So maybe that's who he's going after. And then hail. God showed them that God, their sky goddess was not in charge of the sky. Locusts. Many deities were prayed to that there would be harvest. And so he just showed them all those gods are gone. They're powerless. Every one of these gods and plagues was a calling of the gods into the middle of the street and God shooting them down in public. Once you realize what's going on, this becomes a more interesting story than darkness when he goes against Ra, the sun god. Then the only cult, the only god that he had not struck down yet was the cult of the firstborn. In Egypt, the firstborn was dedicated to the gods. And normally that did not require a sacrifice, but your firstborn child had certain obligations upon them because of being firstborn. The firstborn of any flock was donated to the, not donated, but sacrificed and given to the Pharaoh because Pharaoh called themselves gods. And so God said, there's one more God to strike down. Do you want to relent? And Pharaoh said, no. And so the firstborn died. Took a terrible, brutal hit. Pharaoh is broken and he says, go, get him out of here. And God's leading them. He says, I want you to go this direction. And a very interesting story that has a lot of ramifications I've never heard anybody in a church talk about. And we don't have time today, but basically God said, go this way. And then after a while, God stopped them and said, no, better not, go this way. And heads them to the Red Sea. The army of Pharaoh, Pharaoh gets mad and he decides, I'm going to go get them back and I'm going to punish them. 
He sends his army. The army's behind them. The sea's in front of them. Moses looks up at God and goes, what? You Because know, Moses wasn't one of these that floated around with his hands like this going, oh, you know, I am sure the Lord has a purpose. No, he was saying, what? God said, I gave you a stick. Raise your stick. Moses, in an act of faith, which I don't think I could have pulled off, when the people were going, what do we do? He said, stand still and see the salvation of God. And then the waters parted. And I've seen the movie too. Um, it's a very exciting, um, but terrifying. I got to ask you, would you have walked in it? There's something wrong about having fish higher than you. Um, I'm not sure how, I bet there were some that would say, just toss me a rock. I'll go for the Egyptians. But they went through. And then what happened? Moses led him to a mountain that was encased in cloud and lightning and thunder. There were earthquakes. It terrified the people for day after day after day after day. Because you see, they had found out who wasn't God. But now they needed to find out who was. And after many days of lightning, cloud, thunder, earthquake. Silence. Which I think would have been more terrifying. And then there was a voice saying, Moses, come up here. I want to talk to you. What do you think it felt like to be Moses? Walking up the mountain, knowing that when you got to the top, it was just going to be you and Yahweh. Well, of course, we'll all know one day because it'll be our name called. But we do not need to fear because Jesus has saved us. It'll be a happy trip, not a terrifying one. Well, he comes down. We all know that they'd been disloyal and disobedient. And we all know he had, I often told people, you know, who was the most wicked man ever lived? It was Moses because he broke all the commandments at once. It's just a, you can use that. But you won't because it's a dad joke. But um, he, broke, he threw it all down and had to go back up and get it again. But regardless, Moses took care of his people. He organized them so that there was fair distribution of food and water. He provided for their material needs as well as the safety of the group. In fact, Moses acted a lot like Nehemiah. And this is what's really important because the story involves us. But you have to know first that it involved others. Nehemiah in his life would do much the same as Moses. He would lead a safe people. He would prepare their, uh, for their security, for their material needs, their water, their food. And he would bring them back into following God. Twice. A lot of people don't remember that at the very end of Nehemiah, the people had forgotten all of the lessons and scattered again. And Nehemiah gets up and goes and does it all again. That part's usually ignored. But he also... He, and, he was a, a figure of somebody else. But I'll get there in just a second. God liked Moses, even though Moses was difficult to work with. He was later challenged by 250 men, four of the leaders. In number 16, God himself shows up to stop the rebellion. One of the more interesting things, God opens the earth, the bad guys fall in, he shuts it. It's like, next? You're going, okay, you have my attention. Well, Moses was given the opportunity by God when God got very frustrated with the Israelites. He said, I'm just going to kill them and raise up a new nation through you. And Moses goes, if you're going to kill them, kill me. Because I do not want to be saved without them. 
He was a difficult, hard man, and yet he loved. Can you be both? Yes, you can be human. By the way, this isn't the only one who's ever said this. Paul wrote and he said, I would go to hell and be utterly destroyed if that would save my people. Just like Moses. And Jesus marched off the mountain and turned himself into the mob to save the lives eternally of the people behind him and us. Do you see how Moses is a figure? Real person, but also a figure of what God wants us to be like. It's, um, again, Paul, Nehemiah, Jesus. Moses, in fact, is the model in the book of Matthew. In the book of Matthew, he very intentionally takes things out of Moses' life and points them out in Jesus' life. That Jesus is the new Moses, the greater Moses. The Moses that Jeremiah 31, 31 said, whenever it said, I will make a new covenant with my people, not like the one I made on the mountain, but a new covenant through a new leader. And that is Jesus. Well, that is the covenant that we celebrate when we come to the Lord's Supper. We too were slaves to sin. We too are now freed from sin by the blood of Christ, by the grace of God. We too were wanderers without nation, without land, without home, without identity. But we are now, according to the book of Philippians, citizens of heaven. We too, as the song says, have experienced many dangers, toils, and snares. But as Moses offered his life for that of his people, Jesus stepped up and offered his life for all of us. Moses, Nehemiah, Paul, Jesus, and you. Why did I title this lesson, We Are Moses? Well, like Matthew tells us in various ways, we are in the same line as Moses and Jesus. We're in the same business. The people around us are in the wilderness and we are in the wilderness. The same chapter in Philippians that says we are citizens of heaven calls us pilgrims and strangers here. So what do we do? We too are to love others more than we love our own lives. We too are to lead them out of bondage to false gods. What false gods? I mean, I don't, there are not a whole lot of active Osiris and Ra and Hecate worshipers. But most people worship the God in the mirror. The one whose opinions are always what God must like too. Most people worship the God of power, the God of sex, the power of identity, the, um, or the God of identity, or money, or whatever it is. They worship those gods. I had missionaries have talked to me about coming back in from other places where they, they saw manifestations of evil spirits, and they a couple of them and I have talked over the years and come up with the same answer. When people say, well, why don't we see that over here? And we say, the devil doesn't need to do it. He's already got you. Look at your commercials. Look at your television. Look at your movies. Look at what people do. The God of commerce, the God of buying more, having more, earning more, having a title, having a power, all of those things are gods and they are right out in the open and they are worshipped here. People will say, well, wait a minute. You know, 
If you're asking us to help the others give up their gods and then become disciples, we're not equipped for this. I would like to remind you that as the old saying goes, God does not call the qualified. God qualifies the called. Moses was not qualified. There was nothing in his resume that would make anybody pick him for the job except God. Because God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. Moses. A mere man. With all the folly and foibles that that means. He led his people home. He couldn't take them all the way there. And that's where the parallels with Jesus fail. Because our Lord did take us all the way there. And for that we thank God for the life of Moses. And we thank God for the life of Christ. But we also need to thank God for those voices that came before that brought us to Christ. Everybody in this room was brought to Jesus by somebody who was brought to Jesus by somebody. And you get the drift. Do I have to go back to Adam with that? Or stop at Noah because you can do that too. No. I'm going to switch over mic, brother. There we are. It's like a well-oiled rock. I don't think most of you got that, but fair enough. Um, I thank God not only for those that told me about Jesus, but those who told them about Jesus and told them about Jesus. The question is, will we be Moses? Will we be another link in an unbroken chain? Or will the story stop with us? China used to be the most Christian nation in the world. And then whenever it fell, and fell so brutally, people asked those that, were get, that got out, what happened in one generation? The response was, we forgot to tell our children. We didn't teach our children. Do not be the broken link. Be Moses. Lead people through the wilderness as Matthew ends his book. Go, make disciples, teach them how to follow Jesus, baptize them, teach them. And as also was said, how beautiful are the feet that bring us the gospel of peace.